Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house. It's Wednesday, February 16th. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. The deaths in an Edwardsville Amazon warehouse hit by a tornado in December have reignited questions about building safety. All these warehouses out here, we have no type of safety to go to. We need this. We demand this. Not that we want it. We need this. We need to be protected. In just a few minutes, St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt reports on why many of the structures surrounding that Amazon facility in the Metro East may be just as vulnerable the next time a tornado hits. The Missouri House is advancing a measure that could put Medicaid expansion back on the ballot. Sebastian Martinez Valdivia reports. The bill adds a constitutional amendment to the November ballot that, if approved, would give lawmakers the power to refuse to fund the Medicaid expansion group. Under Medicaid expansion, Missourians making less than $17,700 a year can receive coverage. Representative Cody Smith, the bill's sponsor, says the petition would allow lawmakers to split off Medicaid expansion recipients from non-expansion recipients. This would enable, enable us to uncouple those two parts of the program and appropriate for them independently. Democrats decried the bill on the House floor, saying it's clear Republicans are attempting to subvert the voter-approved program. As chair of the Budget Committee last spring, Smith stripped funding for expansion from the state budget. I'm Sebastian Martinez Valdivia, Colombia. A supplementary budget bill with money for Medicaid, almost $2 billion in federal dollars for schools and raises for state workers still has to make it through the Missouri Senate. One of the largest differences between Governor Mike Parson's proposal and a version approved by House members is a reduction in the amount for raises. Parson wanted all state workers to earn a minimum of $15 an hour. That House version only brings some employees to that threshold. Democratic Senator Brian Williams of St. Louis County serves on the Senate Appropriation Committee and agrees with Parson's original proposal. These are folks who work very, very hard and, and again, make very minimal pay. So I think we should be doing everything we can to ensure the state workers are, are getting paid for what they're worth. He made those comments on Politically Speaking and hopes the Senate decides to revert to the governor's recommendation on raises as opposed to the House version. A legislative panel that reviews administrative rules from state agencies has blocked COVID-19 regulations for public schools in Illinois. Those rules include a mask mandate for people indoors on school property. They also call on employees to be vaccinated or submit to regular testing. The panel voted to suspend the regulations from going into effect, meaning there is no longer a state mandate on masks for K-12 schools. Illinois officials are still encouraging people to wear face coverings. The state's Department of Public Health renewed the regulations officially filed in December. They expired on Sunday because emergency rules in the state can only be in place for 150 days. Also, Illinois is awaiting an appeals court decision on a temporary restraining order halting emergency health orders in 170 school districts. A new bill would allow investigators at the Department of Children and Family Services in Illinois to use pepper spray for self-defense. It comes after the deaths of two investigators during site visits. Retired DCFS policy chief Deanna Large says MACE should be issued to workers by the department. We issue staff phones and laptops to do their jobs. A self-defense tool such as MACE or pepper spray, that's just another tool. It's as essential as those phones and those laptops. 
The union representing DCFS workers supports the bill. The department itself has yet to take a position. An effort by the owner of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch to fight a hostile takeover has received a boost. A judge has ruled Lee Enterprises can ignore two director nominations from Alden Global Capital. That hedge fund has a reputation for acquiring newspapers and gutting staff. Alden says it will still urge shareholders to vote against Lee Chairman Mary Junk and another longstanding board member at the company's March 10th annual meeting. Lee rejected Alden's roughly $140 million bid last year, saying it undervalues the newspaper publisher. St. Louis's expansion Major League Soccer team will play in a stadium that carries the name of one of the largest employers in the region. As St. Louis Public Radio's Chad Davis reports, the partnership is designed to go beyond sports in the St. Louis area. St. Louis City SC and the Centene Corporation have signed a 15-year deal for the naming rights of the downtown West Stadium. The complex will be completed later this year and seat more than 22,000 people. The team's inaugural season is next year. It's the latest St. Louis facility to carry Centene's name. Terms of the deal were not disclosed, but Centene Executive Vice President Marcela Manjarez says it will benefit the region financially. Our partnership allows us to support our charitable efforts in the community and across the country, increase our national brand awareness, drive recruitment of prospective hires, and reward our employees. Centene and club officials say they also expect to work on health and wellness programs in the region. I'm Chad Davis, St. Louis Public Radio. And Chad has more about Centene Stadium on our website, stlpr.org. The collapse of an Edwardsville warehouse has put a spotlight on the safety of such buildings. Six workers at the Amazon facility died in December after it was hit by a tornado. St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt reports dozens of surrounding warehouses could be just as vulnerable. On December 10th, the St. Louis region was blanketed with messages that many Midwesterners have come to dread, a tornado warning. The National Weather Service indicated a severe thunderstorm capable of producing one was moving across the northern part of the region faster than a mile a minute. Take cover now. Move to a basement or an interior room on the lowest floor of a sturdy building. That wasn't entirely possible for all 46 workers at an Amazon warehouse in Edwardsville that night. The six deaths there have prompted questions over how safe these massive buildings really are. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration is investigating the collapse and whether Amazon followed safety rules. Company officials say workers followed procedures to shelter in areas away from windows on either end of the building. Kelly Nantel is a spokesperson for Amazon. I want to be clear, it's not a safe room. It is an area of the facility that is safe for people to converge. That difference is critical, says Jim Bell, director of operations for the National Storm Shelter Association. He says a refuge or take shelter area is not the same thing as a designated tornado shelter. They're not built to save lives. They're just the safest place you can be within a building that's not built as a shelter. The Amazon facility is far from the only warehouse in the St. Louis region without an official storm shelter. Arnicha Rhodes works at an Amazon warehouse in Hazelwood and spoke at a rally for safer conditions in Edwardsville last month. All these warehouses out here, we have no type of safety to go to. We need this. We demand this. Not that we want it. We need 
this. We need to be protected. That's right. The nearly 30 large warehouses near the Amazon facility that collapsed don't have formal tornado shelters, according to officials from Edwardsville and Pontoon Beach. Bell, with the Storm Shelter Association, says one can be as simple as a reinforced room or corridor within a building. And that 1% of the time that you really need it to be a shelter, it's built to withstand the 250-mile-an-hour winds and the 100-mile-an-hour impacts that we test these things to. He says they aren't that expensive either, costing 20000 to a few hundred thousand dollars, depending on how big they are. The average cost of a new warehouse building in Edwardsville between 2014 and 2019 was more than $16 million. There's no requirement that warehouses in Edwardsville or Pontoon Beach have storm shelters or are built safer in the future. That's because U.S. building codes haven't required designs for tornado resistance, says Ron Hamburger, a structural engineer and who's part of the American Society of Civil Engineers. Much like many other hazards that we face, uh, the building codes have viewed tornadoes as being acts of God that there was really not much you could do about. He says that's now changing because of the Joplin tornado in 2011 that killed 158 people. Hamburger says there's a proposal for the 2024 International Building Code to require building designs that can resist weaker tornadoes. But those standards wouldn't apply in Edwardsville or Pontoon Beach, even if they are in the 2024 code. Those municipalities use international building codes from 2006 and 2009, respectively. Edwardsville's director of public works says as the city might adopt the 2021 code, but didn't say if the city would also require storm shelters in warehouses. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker says lawmakers should consider statewide rules for those buildings. We don't have that now. They're really done on a county-by-county county or a municipality basis. And the question is, with all of the warehouses that are being built or have been built, Uh, Should we be setting a state standard for that? Pritzker says he expects the General Assembly will explore legislation this year, and hearings over the matter started this week. Hamburger says he prefers states that have one building standard and supports the prospect in Illinois. It makes it easier for my life as a design professional to understand what it is I am required legally to design. If every town within a state has different rules, it's confusing to me. Statewide standards could also protect communities from the growing number of tornadoes in Midwestern and Southern states each year. Victor Gensini is a professor of meteorology at Northern Illinois University. The regions that we're seeing increases in these events are also co-located with areas that are already extremely vulnerable to tornado events. Gensini says that means these areas outside of the Great Plains are more likely to see deaths or injuries from a tornado. He and others say what happened in Edwards could likely happen again without any changes to state or local rules. I'm Eric Schmid, St. Louis Public Radio. Our Fred Ehrlich edited that report. Shulin Newman is the executive editor of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. This has been The Gateway. Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.